Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. If talking to your kids about sex makes you nervous, please know that you're normal. And my guest on today's Illuminate podcast suggests that there is a better way to do it. And in fact, a way we can do it that would actually be more uplifting, more fun, more playful, and set our kids up for actually learning how to talk about sex down the road when they're in their marriage. Isn't that wonderful? He talks about how parents can actually be a bridge, think of it as a dress rehearsal, for learning how to talk about sex, sexuality, bodies, emotions, with a safe person, in other words, the parent, as they prepare to start talking about these things down the road with their spouse. So in other words, practicing with your parent, learning how to talk about your body and your sexuality, sets you up for success down the road when you are married and need to talk about these very same things with your spouse. My guest today is Dr. Dean Busby, and he is the director of the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. And Dr. Busby, along with three other BYU professors who also are experts in child development, human sexuality, and lots of other marriage and family topics, wrote a wonderful book called A Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex that just barely came out. And they have a wonderful formula for how to help us navigate this difficult conversation and actually make it a good experience for our children and set them up for success later in life. Let's jump right into the interview with Dr. Dean Busby. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Busby. Thanks so much for making time for us. Nice to be with you. So your book is called A Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex. And uh, I'm just curious, what would you say? I mean, what, what are the, the kind of the other common ways kids have been taught that you and your uh, co-authors are trying to update here? Um, well, I think the most common way would be if they teach him anything at all, it will, it's the one-talk sort of system where parents try to guesstimate about when the child is getting close to puberty and then they, um, they have the talk where they try to give them the real quick basics and the do's and the don'ts and, um, and then leave it at that. Um, now, um, I, I would have to say that empirically, I would guess the most common approach is no, no real discussion that, that, um, you know, sometimes parents will slip a, a pamphlet or a book or something hmm. uh, that they get to the child, but they don't really have uh, discussions with the child in any any kind of detailed way. Even even in 2018, there are still parents that are are not even bringing this up at all to their kids. Well, especially in terms of the audience that uh, this particular book is geared toward in particular uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or or other, I think it, it's very applicable to other sort of more conservative families. I think conservative families have consistently been uh, under the false impression that if you talk to kids about sexuality regularly, openly, you encourage sexual behavior. And so okay. I, I, 
yeah, I think that's the that's the challenge we, we have with that particular group. We do know that that strongly conservative people um, do tend to talk less uh, with their children about about sex um, overall. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so there there tends to be this fear that they're going to plant this idea that will get away from them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So if we keep them, we keep them ignorant, then that's that's bliss. Um, <laughs> that's right. Know, even even in this world, that's the that's the crazy thing. You know, the, yeah. If they would if they would just go to a high school or a junior high, spend a little time like a fly on the wall and and hear and feel the the you know the sexual conversations, the innuendos and things that go on there, I think they they would realize that wait a minute here it doesn't matter if i say nothing then then all they get is this other sort of side of things and and that's a pretty distorted worldview well yeah and this day this train's moving down the track whether they want to talk about it or not so yeah yeah (laughs) so this better way um obviously you're saying even just to have the conversation is a start for a lot of families but 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 you're also saying in the book that there's that the ways that parents have attempted to talk about this in some ways can be even harmful. Definitely. Um, because I think, uh, you know, it's, it's natural to be uncomfortable. It's natural for the child to be uncomfortable, especially if they have a relatively shy personality or quiet child. Mm -hmm. And so this, the discomfort is going to be there. Um, and, and, and sometimes parents interpret their own discomfort of the discomfort of their child as this is wrong, you know, or the, it's, it's not the right time Mm -hmm. or et cetera. And, and so they use that discomfort to shut them down. But I think the more harmful messages have to do with, with shame. Okay. Um, uh, you know, our, our, our goal all along has been not, not to prohibit certain behaviors, but to help parents teach children to be healthy sexually. Um, and if that's your goal, and rather than I don't want certain behaviors to ever occur, then you you sort of address uh, things in a different direction than in a don't, 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 this is bad, you know, this will ruin your life kind of stuff. Uh, you, you present, no, here's our goal. We want to we reach adulthood and have the opportunity to have healthy uh, fulfilling sexual relationships. So if that's our goal, then, then we don't, we're not so concerned about shame and fear and that sort of thing, uh, to scare our children away from certain behaviors. We're more concerned with developing good attitudes, understanding their own feelings, what to do with those feelings, who to talk to, how to talk to, what you know? How to how to approach relationships? That sort of thing. Yeah. So the shame model is really just you know it's such an emphasis on abstinence and sin that it really keeps it keeps it keeps it sort of locked down in this as this forbidden behavior. But it doesn't really tell them what is good or what is healthy or how that should look. It's right. mostly just here's what to avoid. And you know I've been in many bishoprics and I noticed. Uh, Usually, that even really good bishops and and counselors, um, just at some point in the conversation, for whatever reason, 
when they get to the prohibition place, you know, where these things aren't okay, these things can't, that, that the quantity of material on that side of the ledger is so heavy mm. that there's yep. just no way for the child to feel anything other than, than sort of fear, trepidation. And so the opportunity to sort of just ask questions and to be open about this sensitive area is not there because you're you're in this context of this is really a bad thing to do don't do this whatever yeah. you do stay away from that and so you know when when we're in a conversation even with people trying to do their best that that feels you know fear-based i think the the most important thing that happens that does damage is it shuts the child down mm-hmm. um, so if a kid says so my you know my friend said this uh, you know, what does this mean? Just to be able to answer, uh, ask a question like that about any kind of thing they've heard about sexuality it is just not in that environment. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, like you said, even, even if it's something that comes from a friend or something they've heard, but even in their own bodies, like as they're starting to wake up sexually and start to become interested and attracted and they start to have uh, different physical experiences with their budding sexuality, that that's going to obviously feel like something's wrong with them if, if it's all been like, you know, this is really serious stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. helpful. Yeah. No, that's good. And, and go ahead. So I think, I think, I think a core thing is to try to, uh, what we've tried to do with parents is say, Hey, what you, what you want to think about is sexuality is about a relationship. In the end, if it's going to work well for them, they're right. going to learn to express this behavior in a relationship with somebody they love. And so as a parent, you're a bridge. You're, you're the bridge to help them learn to talk about sexuality within a loving relationship so that when they get to the place and time in their lives where they can act sexually, they've learned that talking about it in a loving relationship is possible, comfortable. That's such a key element for healthy sexuality in marriage is, is that comfort and, and feeling like this is, this is something we can really talk about and understand because there's so many nuances to sexuality that really require careful conversations. I love that. that that's such a great perspective. And, and in some ways, you know, even though the child is not talking about their sexual relationship per se with their parent, what they're doing is talking about sexuality. So the discomfort, the sensations, the worries, the fears, the needs, all those different things, they're practicing that with in, in the context of a loving attachment, which is really just staging them to do that with their spouse someday versus going into uh, an adult romantic relationship, never having even found the words to talk about these things and then only you know only having messages that it's something that should be avoided or or feared and then when it comes time to to do some of the the delicate dancing that you have to do as an adult in a sexual relationship there's like no context there's no connection to themselves no words they have no idea how to talk about this and so it just gets shut down or yes. goes sideways yeah so this and is really the, a chance the, to dress rehearse it all now with your kids. That's correct. That, that's perfect, perfect analogy. Sort of a, a dress rehearsal for the conversations. Yeah. And for the tone. Um, for the for the tone and the safety factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, even even with the best uh, sex education in the home 
as you as you know, there the 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 intensity, the vulnerability of sexuality will create uh, difficulties yes. with 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 talking about it. So, you, but but if you've had this nice advantage, of, you know, I can say these words, I can talk about my feelings, and I can talk about my body, and and I've done that many times with my parents, and so I I, I feel like I'm. I'm solid here. Then you're just so much further ahead than somebody who's never even been able to say words about their body parts. Well, yeah, because most kids, like you're saying, most kids are being talked at about it. They're not having a conversation about it. Yeah. They're just being lectured or nothing. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love the subtitle of your book, um, No More Metaphors and Object Lessons, Just Open Communication. What's this metaphors and object lessons reference? Um, well, uh, <laughs> it's just it's just so amazing how and we collect metaphors in our classes that we teach. So, what are the metaphors your parents, your leaders, anybody <laughs> uh, you know has, has done with you? And they're just so so it, they're entertaining and sad. I mean, yeah. they're usually they're usually both. Um, and we usually laugh a lot and cry a little bit when we're together with students and, <laughs> and other people when we're talking about those because, you know, some of them are just terrifying. I Oh, boy, if I, if I ever got told that. Or, or some of them are just humorous. And, you know, most of them have something to do with food and, um, you know, waiting, you know, waiting. And if, it, if you wait, the food tastes better. If you don't, it's, you know, or, or it's spread around. It's just, you know, these common metaphors. And food is an appetite. So... Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's a there's a part of of food that fits, I think, when in regards to talking about another appetite we have to control and manage. But but uh, you know, it's just it's just so hard for us to just talk about sex. Um, yeah. Um, so so these metaphors and object lessons are just ways that parents and leaders historically have just tried to buffer their own discomfort with it. Do you think that's what it is, or do you think they're just trying to, you know? talk about it in a way that isn't as direct? I mean, what, where do those come from? What's that even about? Why do we do that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, it, it does feel a little less intense to talk about, uh, you know, when you want, how do you manage uh, when you're hungry with food, but, you know, it's not the right time to eat. You know, you can just see immediately that's easier to talk about than how do you manage when you feel a sexual feeling. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but I, I think we just get models all the time about using metaphors, object lessons in our teaching, that that's, that that's a good approach to teaching. And, and I think it generally does help. I mean, think about the New Testament as an example. There's, there's just all kinds of metaphors and parables and things in there that really bring some power to some of these uh, scriptural points. Um, and so I, I, I think that's also part of the, of the thing that... Um, and so habit, comfort, that sort of thing. Yeah, we kind of teach in stories and like you said, using metaphor. But but you're saying that we don't really have to hide or, or conceal this or try and dress it up. We can speak about it openly and honestly, directly, clearly with the confidence because that's what they're going to have to do in their marriage. They're not going to be talking in their marriage about their sexual relationship using metaphors and object lessons with their spouse. <laughs> exactly. And the and and on the, on the sad side the vulgarity in the world they live sure. in is 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 so constant. Yeah. That that I think it's, you know, it reminds me a lot of the tone of Nephi where he says, 
in his first, uh, you know, chapters in, in, the, in that first Nephi, second Nephi, I'm going to be direct. Mm-hmm. Instead of like Isaiah and some of the other prophets, I'm going to come straight at this, talk directly to you. For sure. Because of the nature of the environment that his people lived in. They didn't understand the metaphors and the language of the Jews, he said, and so I'm going to talk to you straight on here. And I think that's that's the context of what we're living in right right now with yeah. regard to sexuality. Yeah, that's good. I mean, in the introduction of the book, I know you talk about trying to uh, you're trying to provide a, an empirically based like uh, approach that matches the current reality in which we're living. And and this is what you're saying. Maybe in generations past, metaphors and object lessons were fine because it you know there there wasn't it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't as pervasive. It wasn't something culturally was being talked about as much. And so you could sort of tippy toe around it. But these days we have to give it to our kids directly. We have to give it to them very clearly. And I I assume that's the current reality you're referring to. Yes. yes. I mean, an example comes to mind immediately that I I was talking to a woman probably in her uh, mid sixties. And she talked about when she was a, a kid, um, and growing up, she was so innocent and sheltered that she didn't know what, what rape meant. Um, mm. And so when somebody in the school was raped, she thought it meant kissed. And, and so the, you know, that's the layer of shelteredness that she had. It's pretty hard to imagine a kid in the Me Too time frame today not having a, you know, at least some level of understanding of what rape is uh, and 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 I, it's just hard to imagine somebody thinking rape is just kissing these days. Right. I don't, I don't think that's the the environment that we live in anymore. So right, and so the approach parents have to take now. I mean, they have to be so informed. They have to be so on top of the language, right? I mean, this is this is just requiring more of parents now, wouldn't you say? Right. Right. Um, in in a porn saturated world where images and uh, labels and things are tossed around and they're exposed to inadvertently, even if not, um, even if they don't seek it on their own, yeah, I think I think it just requires an extra layer of vigilance. Why, yeah, why why do you think parents dread this talk so much? Why do we all snicker about it and parents just get you know so anxious about it? What what is that about? That's a, that's a good, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I said to somebody the other day, you know, I, I, there's probably not a person in our culture who, who has read more, done more research and sort of talked to more people than I have about sexuality. I just don't think that person exists today. And I still found with my own children, um, there were times where I thought, you know what, I, I sense something going on here. And I, I need to talk to him about. I had boys, so I didn't. Uh, they were all he's, and uh, I need to talk to him about this. And then uh, this immediate thing I felt was a reluctance. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Just a reluctance, right? And 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 I thought, what what is that about? I asked myself that repeatedly during the time they were growing up, and I've asked myself that repeatedly since. I don't think I had shame about it. I mean, I don't think I had lingering shame. So I don't think it was something from inside of me. I think I did know and that the conversation was going to be sensitive and that it, that it was maybe going to be a, a little bit awkward. Um, 
And so I think you just sort of know that about the topic, that this is, this is getting as vulnerable as you can get. And we, you can't just do that on a whim. You know, you have to sometimes make sure it's the right place and time and, you know, your mood and their mood sort of matches a little bit. And, and so it, it takes a little more effort. It's not, it doesn't always have to be that produced, but, but you know, the, the conversations I was thinking about where I felt a little reluctant. Um, I knew there was something happening. I knew there was something they needed to talk about that we needed to talk about. And I still felt the reluctance. So I think there's just a natural uh, privacy issue, don't you? That, yeah. that, that this is a private part of us. And, um, and so privacy is, is something we respect and we try not to invade if we don't have to. Yeah, I like that. Well, and it's really validating, you know, to hear, you know, you just get very candid about your own reluctance. And that's a good word for it because it didn't keep you from doing it. Right. And, um, you know, I feel the same way. I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable talking about these things. My wife says too comfortable sometimes in public. And so, yes, <laughs> I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's definitely not for a lack of knowing the words or having the information or, or what to tell our children. I think, I think the, the privacy and, and the protectiveness we feel of wanting them to have a good experience with it, wanting to set them up for success, um, entering into this really sacred space. Uh, I think we should have some, he- some hesitation. We should give it some pause. We should really slow it down and, and, and give our kids that, you know, our, our best efforts that way. And I, I appreciate that. That's very validating for me to hear that. And I'm sure a lot of parents as well who haven't spent, uh, you know, probably nearly as much time as, as you have spent on this and that, that you would still have that hesitation. I, I think that's very helpful to understand that. It, does, it reminds me a little bit of uh, when I want to talk to my children about their spiritual their spirituality. Yeah, yeah. You know that, that the uh, you know when you get into the testimony area, how's their testimony? What mm-hmm. is what's going on there? Uh, and you know maybe they're struggling a little bit with it, and for a variety of issues, you just feel that initial pause. Yeah. Um, is this the right place in time? Am I in the right frame of mind? Are they? And so they're there. And then so often we, we neglect little kids will say almost the same thing about spirituality. I don't know that I really understood my father's or my mother's testimony or their spiritual development, etc. You know, once in a while I heard them bear their testimony, but I don't know that I really understood that. And, and so um, I think it's very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great way to put it. One thing I love in the book is, is you guys almost have like a playful, um, you know, tone about celebrating the sexual development of a child. And I really, I really think that it's so needed in, in our culture. We take ourselves so seriously about this. We get so afraid and so, you know, so rigid about this sometimes. And I just really love, um, I mean, the one example, which is so crazy and ridiculous, you know, which one I'm talking about, the, uh, the father that made the, uh, uterus shaped pancakes for yeah. his daughter, <laughs> yeah. which I read that and I thought, oh my goodness. Like, and his, you know, of course you said the daughter never forgave him for it, Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's so silly. It's so over the top, but, but I love, I love the point you were trying to make with it. You, you weren't obviously recommending that, but you were saying, we there's a lot we can do as parents to let our kids know that this is something to celebrate. This is something that's so healthy, God-given, natural, and important for their happiness as a human being. Why wouldn't we celebrate it? Yeah. Can, can you say yeah. more about that? Why why you guys uh, take this tone? 
Well, it, it, it is something, uh, frankly, that the, the female co-authors brought to the table for us, um, both in the book we wrote about couples and in this book about children, which has made me ponder a little bit about, I don't know <laughs> that I can generalize and say most males are, are going to be more serious than females about this and maybe too serious. But, you know, they they I can remember places in our conversations as we were working on chapters, so, you know, this is the fun part of life. This is sexuality is the place to play as adults in, right. in, your, in your marriage. And if we don't have at some level the right playful attitude about this, then what, what again, we're conveying to the child is this is serious and sad and, you know, and, and all that. And, and then they can't be playful. And so, so that was, that's where the Genesis came from. And then mm. when you start looking at other cultures, you realize how far the Western world has sort of fallen away from the celebration of womanhood and manhood. Yeah. That, that it, it is really common in, in non-Western cultures that when you reach uh, manhood or womanhood, and, and it's usually defined by menstruation or, um, the first nocturnal emission, that sort of thing, or a certain age with boys, or um, then then they have a big celebration. I mean, the whole village celebrates. Right, right. And so uh, you know, this is a really important, wonderful thing. And so I think we gotta we've got to find a way to think about it like that. It's a yeah. wonderful thing. It scares me a little bit to think of my child as being a sexual being now, but it's a wonderful blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. I read the book years ago, The Body Project, um, which was uh, a woman going through qualitatively through journals for 100 years for adolescent girl journals. And she talked about in there how historically that when a girl would, would have her first period, that she would stay home from school. And of course, they didn't have all the hygiene products they have now, but she would stay home with her mother and her grandmother and her aunts. And they would talk about femininity. They talk about reproduction. They talk about, it, it just became this opportunity to really have her join the community of women. Yes. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a hygiene issue. It wasn't just right. about sanitation. It was really about helping her put this in a larger context and celebrating it. And of course the, the you know, back then she had to stay home because there was no way to, to be, you know, mobile with that. But they yeah. took advantage of that opportunity, not just to hide her away in a bad bedroom until she stopped menstruating. It was, it was really a chance to to really celebrate her as a woman. Yeah, that's great. That's a great example. I mean, think of how far away that kind of experience is from somebody who just focuses on here's some tampons or you know here's some pads and here's what you do when right. and it comes about you know just giving technical details. Of course, they're really important to yes. avoid unnecessary embarrassment and all that. But, but just think about adding to that. And this is an amazing day for you and yeah. for us. And this is this is a wonderful um, time in your life. And so that's that's the part that that needs to be brought in. I think. Yeah, and you and you talk about we can still talk about it. We don't have to be flippant about it or disrespectful, and and we can still strike a sacred tone about it. But it's not secret. It's it's a ritual. It's something that marks a change. And I think you guys do a really good job in the book of really giving parents permission and ideas on on how to do that and incorporate that without it being so shameful. Good. Good. Yeah, that's great. And and I I do want to spend in our, our next episode, we will kind of wrap this one up here. And I, I do want to talk more about some of the specific sexual issues that you talk about in the book. We'll we'll maybe spend the next episode on that. But 
Okay. Um, for this one, I, I, I just want to come back to this, this sort of um, emphasis you guys have on getting away from a fear-based discussion around this, that an abstinence-only discussion about it, to put it in the context of a relationship, to put it in the context of, of sexual wholeness. Can you describe the model of sexual wholeness and how that guides these discussions about sex with children? Um, yeah, so uh, basically we think about trying to help the child understand three areas of who they are that are related to sexualities. And so sexuality has a physical element. You know, it is about bodies and feelings and hormones and, um, and specific actions. But it's also, as importantly, about relationships, emotions and relationships is the other area. We talk about connecting with people, building relationships. That's a central part of sexuality. And then the, uh, the last sort of piece of the model is the spirituality, which is what we think of as meaning. So why do we have these, this part of ourselves? What is, what is the purpose of sexuality? What is the goal of sexuality? So those, that, those are those three areas. And so in, any, in, in the overall process of working with children and teaching them, each of those three things needs to be emphasized. So you can imagine yourself as a, as a child, if you arrived at marriage and you were a virgin and you had no information about the physical side, how hard that would be uh, for you to figure out. Right. Uh, and, and, and the same thing about any of the other two if you didn't know what what the purpose of sex was you didn't have a sense of the of of the the meaning that it can have in your life then the spiritual side would be weak and that would cause significant problems and then of course the relational piece how sexuality builds can build the relationship and how it sometimes creates tension and all that and so those that's the that's the i think the foundational piece is that trying to bring those things together for the child will help them have a, a much uh, richer viewpoint of sexuality rather than a series of don'ts and, um, and, and have a better chance at making a successful relationship. And those are the very areas that they're going to have to navigate in their adult relationship around sex. Right. right. About body stuff, the emotions, the meaning, those kinds of things. And even in the context of a religious community where you would think meaning would be heavily emphasized, when it's just about boundaries, about you don't cross this yeah. particular boundary, you don't do this, that's really not about meaning, is it? It's, 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 uh, it's about boundaries. It's not about, you know, you have the, this, this part of yourself for this purpose. It's to help you grow together as a couple and have a firm relationship and to bring children into the world and to enjoy yourself. And, and that is, you know, when we, when we have that meaning and purpose, it helps us delay certain behaviors because they're not going to contribute to those goals. Um, and so that's a different conversation than don't do this because you might get an STD or an STI. And, um, yeah, wow. True. Well, this is great. And I, I love on the back of the book, it, it, and I agree with this. It says, we've been wrong in how we teach our kids about sex. And your approach is so expansive and gives parents actual things they can talk about instead of just telling them what not to do. So 
I just think you guys have produced a fabulous resource for families, and I couldn't highly recommend it more. I think it's just fabulous. So thank you so much for for producing this and then being willing to come talk about it. Sure, our pleasure. Our our uh, our next interview. Then I'll I'll come back with you and uh, we'll talk specifically about some uh, some sexual issues that you address in the book. So we'll we'll do that next time. Okay. You can pick up a copy of A Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex from anywhere books are sold, Deseret Book, Amazon.com. And if you don't have kids in the home anymore, you probably have grandchildren. So please grab a copy for your kids so they can teach their kids and create a healthy family legacy of joyfully talking about bodies and sexuality and safe relationships. I just think that it is a great model and really what we're designed for, to have joy in our marriage and family relationships. And this is a huge part of it. In the next episode of the Illuminate Podcast, I'm going to continue my interview with Dr. Busby, and we are going to address some specific areas that are challenging for parents that are addressed in their book, like pornography, masturbation, how to talk about these things in a way that's productive and healthy. So please stay tuned for that. And I want to thank Dr. Busby for taking some time out of his very busy schedule He's the director of the School of Family Life at BYU. He's an award-winning presenter. He's just got a lot going on. And I do appreciate him making time to visit with us today. And I do especially thank all of you for listening to the Illuminate podcast, supporting these efforts here, and helping to shine light on such challenging topics that face us in this day and age. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.